welcome to Cinema Rabbit Trails. Uh, this is Adam. I'm hosting today. I'm joined by my two guys here. Go ahead and introduce yourselves. Jerry. And David. Right. So we watched The Secret Life of Walter Mitty uh, today. Now, each of these guys and I have watched this movie. Uh, this is also one of my personal favorites to watch. And we'll just give you some just a quick setting and a context for the movie here as we discuss it. But um, Walter Mitty... We open on the setting, which is uh, Life Magazine, and at this point, Life Magazine is now downsizing from uh, the print magazines, and they're going digital. So the, the position they're in right now is to release the last issue of Life Magazine. Um, so Walter Mitty is a negative assets manager, uh, meaning he actually processes the photo negatives in his department. And one day they receive a whole bunch of negatives from a very famed photographer named Sean O'Connell. And one of the negatives is missing. And it's negative 25. It just so happens that that negative 25 is supposed to be the cover of the last issue for Life magazine. And so Walter, uh, being in a rather stressed state of trying to find where that negative is, eventually has to get up and go to, to find Sean to find where that negative went to. And so he goes off on this adventure, and he eventually he does find Sean, and we'll, we'll go over some of those points. But um, first we're introduced to Walter's life. Uh, starts off very, very calmly of him sitting, doing his accounting and his bills. <laughs> and we're just struck at, at somebody who's really just calm and unassuming. And so in, in this way, just the way in which it, it showed his life initially, do you guys find Walter's life boring at all? Just in your personal opinion, I think his his own perspective of it makes it boring. Mm, his own perspective. Yeah, I mean, you see him just in him pers uh, viewing his own life as uh, very boring, which retroact. Well, um, it's a it's a self fulfilling prophecy in a sense because mm. you see later on he really does like his job, um, yeah. and he's I mean he's pretty a creative guy as well. It's just. He's kind of gotten lost in the lull of the day-to-day -day and uh, not doing anything that he has dreamt of doing for a long time or daydreamed of doing. I think there's a difference, but yeah. I just, I'd say it's self-fulfilled prophecy that it is boring. Yeah, that is an interesting thought of just like how, how we can actually cultivate a, a boring life of our own. Not because it is boring, but because we imagine it to be. And I, I would, I would definitely agree. His life could be boring because I mean he's not, you know, there could be fulfillment in his job if he was having other purpose, like you know if he's, you know, going out on dates or he had a family to support. But I would definitely argue that he is, he it's a boring life as much as it's a compromised life because I think I'll get into some of those questions later. But you got to kind of see how he wanted to be this adventurous kid when he was younger, and then when his dad died few days later he gets the haircut from the mohawk and he gets his job uh, papa john's or pizza i forget papa john's. papa john's and you see how this has been the safer life and so in that safety it has become a boring life because it's been a compromise he's compromised the that adventure for safety and result that safety has produced nothing but boring boringness yes so in this case since we're talking about boring and just ordinariness um is ordinary especially when we look at the context of Walter's life, is ordinary in the eye of the beholder? Or is there more of a standard for ordinary? <laughs> uh, 
definitely subjective because if you're used to living on a mountain and that's where you grew up and that's where you have a tiny little town like that's mm-hmm. that's your ordinary if uh, you live in a city and you work a multi-million dollar job surrounded by other people who make millions um, in a high rise and you just go there every single day that's ordinary as well mm-hmm. um, yeah I'd say it's completely subjective yeah and so you, you, we are differentiating uh, ordinary from boring right yes or would you ever use that as synonymous? You can always boring. use... Anything can become boring yeah. and monotonous. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's not ordinary, like... Kind of like, you know, if you live on a, you know... The high rise and there's a helicopter pad on top of the hotel. That could become ordinary to you. And thus it could become boring to you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would argue that your ordinary can... We make things ordinary or extraordinary. Depending on who we are, and you know, um, I've had some amazing interactions at my job at Panera Bread, for example, yeah. um, and those could just be ordinary interactions, but they've become very extraordinary moments just because of being fully present there. So I think that's a lot of our lives are, yeah, ordinary, sure, but we make it something special. I think that's one of the key about this. The key principles this movie teaches is be present in that moment. And there's going to be a lot more extraordinary things around you that you'll find are you'll find the extraordinary in the ordinary moments if you're there. So we get introduced to Cheryl Melhoff, who uh, Walter has an account on eHarmony, and he's trying to create a wink or give a wink to <laughs> Cheryl Melhoff, saying he's in, in, interest, uh, interested in her on eHarmony, but the wink doesn't work. And so he calls a guy named Todd. This is something that goes through the whole film. Can I just say, I love the fact that he he works up all this courage to go for the wink, and then the computer's like, can't do it. Yeah. (laughs) Clicks it again. Can't do it. Can't do it. Can't do it. It's like all that work for just really nothing. Yeah, so the the film makes a good way of like building the suspense and nothing happening. Right. (laughs) So that was great. Um but he talks with yeah, he talks with with him, and and the the wink doesn't work. But they are they work together at Life Magazine, and over the course of that, as Walter's trying to find Sean O'Connell, uh, he asks Cheryl for help to try and track him down because Sean is just a, a very mobile person, constantly going from place to place. And so over the this period, then Cheryl was really helping helping him able to. Uh, create the clues and try to, to solve where he was. But what made Cheryl and Walter a good team? Well, just asking that question, I mean, they're both, they're both dedicated to their job. You know, mm-hmm. are you talking about professionally or talking about just as two people? As two people. Okay. They're both, I think they're both interested about well, they're good at their job, but they're just getting a task done. And they realize it's going to maybe go outside of work hours. So, And plus, I think they had some chemistry there, so definitely that does help with trying to help the other person because it's like, hey, I, I really like what you're doing there, or mm-hmm. I want to help you succeed. And even if it's not something romantically, there are people where you are you make a good pair because you care about that person. You want to see them succeed. And it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll check that research out for you and building, or it is again, building relationships. Mm, that's good. So let me phrase the question another way: Is what did they each bring in the search for Sean? What qualities or characteristics, or just personality-wise, did they bring? Well, Cheryl brought Google. <laughs> that was that was about it. Technology. But, yeah, that that was about it there. But 
um, she she cared for um, for the mission that she, she saw a guy who was potentially even going on a mission, and basically uh, both intentionally and unintentionally because he already had interest in her. Um, she really just encouraged him to actually em- embrace the moment, actually feel duty bound to go on that adventure and actually seek that mission. Mm. Um, and that's, that really opened Walter up to actually, um, one, go on that mission. He, as we saw at the scene, whatever she was, uh, in his, in his imagination, she was singing ground control to major Tom and he jumped onto the chopper and that's what caused the whole sequence of events to go on. Mm. Um, that, that one little moment of, I know she would do something like this, or I know she would. She's supporting me in this, regardless of whether or not she was actually there, which she wasn't. But he knew that she supported him and kind of sent him on this journey, and so he he brings her to life in the moment to actually say, "Yeah, she would send. She would tell me to go. I need to go." And so he goes, and then he really opens. The, I think the moment that it kind of clicked that there was something actually between them was more so the moment when he was calling from Iceland and he kind of just opened up about his dad just all of a sudden. Um, and it really just kind of showed like, it, it showed that he appreciated, he was, the fact that he opened up to her was great too. That was, that was helpful. But he, it also just showed that um, a recognition that of, without him even really saying it, it did kind of show that he appreciated that she supported him in actually going on this mission. Mm-hmm. Um I think it spoke volumes to that. And you just kind of saw that in her expression of just like, oh, whoa, he's kind of thanking me. He's opening up. This is really cool. No, most people don't do this. Mm. And uh, yeah, I think that was just a valuable moment. But then you also have the added benefit of um, if that weren't as if that weren't enough, there was the benefit of them just having a shared experience and kind of a shared mission on that front too. Mm. So just being kind of thrust in some circumstances and some trials regarding their jobs to actually get through all that. And he connected with her son. That was great too. Um, Just, just moment after moment. I think there was, you could pull out one or two things that would have been enough, but there were so many things regarding just their compatibility, their support, their openness, the circumstances they were thrust into the uh, cooperative mission. It was just uh, the connection with her son. All of that was just, just mounded on top of each other to really just say this, this would work. Would you say, because uh, we're introduced on eHarmony, one of the things that Cheryl Melhoff has on her profile is adventurous, brave, and creative. Are those The ABCs. <laughs> yeah, are those qualities that uh, you think Walter was looking for in himself and he found attractive in her and wanted more? Um, do you want to answer that first? I don't say, I don't think he saw that in her, though. Like I think he he I think he wants to be that I think every man wants to be, as uh, John Eldridge talks about Wild at Heart. We all want to be the knight, the warrior, and part of that role is we want to find that uh, that lady to rescue, and not that she's perhaps like helpless or anything like that. But there's that part of us that wants to be that strong force for good, kind of like in the Chronicles of Narnia that Aslan. He's a lion. He's not safe, but he's good. We want to be that man that's like, with stuff starts going down, I'm going to be able to take care of her, protect her. And I think he, you know, we all, just, that's why we like the adventure. That's why we like the danger, because we want to be tested and pushed to our limits. So I think he wanted that. I wouldn't say he found that in her, but I think he saw the beauty in her 
and just that this is someone I can share my heart with because that's the other thing we all want, want is that connection with somebody. So I think he saw that, and I think she appreciated the adventure he was on mm. and joined him in that. What was the phrase you said? Like she, he thought this is someone he could open his heart to. Well, because he he opens up, he opens up you know his backstory there. And it, it just, the fact that he felt comfortable enough to share that with her, and then she's just like, well, you know, she joked at the end, but just like, you know, about Papa John's, like, why yeah. that kind of, he doesn't want to be there, because that has so much symbolism, 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 that word, <laughs> symbolism to him, just of loss, and I guess almost like, this is, I don't want to be this anymore. And the fact that she got to be part of that moment of realizing, oh, this is part of your past, and now you're becoming someone different. We all want people in our lives that we can share that with, mm. versus a lot of people might not care. Um, what was the original question again? Uh, so what what made Cheryl and Walter a good team? Okay, and you said that he saw that she was well, something he, that he could open his heart to, but that wasn't until much later on. That wasn't until no. like midway through his trip. But that, he, that but happened. he'd say he saw that she was someone very, you know, he thought right. she was very pretty, and he was just like wanting to connect their own e, uh, e harmony. So I mean, that was kind mm-hmm. of his initial driving force. But you asked that, I'm like, you know, was it the ABC, ABC thing? thing? Yeah, I, was, yeah. Like, I wouldn't say it was the ABC thing. It was just this is someone he wanted to connect with. We don't know the backstory yeah. either. True, you know? and I don't I, because of the type of character he is. I don't think I, we could honestly answer that. I mean, obviously, it's a fictitious story as well, so there's only so much you no, can do. Not. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, it's and, a biography. Right, yeah, uh, it's an it's it's, a, bi- it's a biography it? of my imagination. So. Yeah, it's an autobiography. Yeah, <laughs> um, I I think it's possible that uh, it was. It was the A, or at least a, the ABCs were a factor in saying, um, "Oh, this woman wants this. If I have, if I want to have any opportunity with her, I've got to become these." Mm. Um, I think there is an element of that because uh, now he's also a very tender person. I thought it was interesting how they kind of kept bringing up the character Rizzo, uh, like as if it, I don't know if they meant it to be that point, but it was like tough and tender, mm. and he's like Walter Mitty. He's got the tender part down. Uh, he hasn't really he doesn't really voice it, but it's there. He hasn't got the tough part, and you see him as he starts going on these adventures. He's he's able to be both tough and tender with people. Whenever he finally comes back and actually hands in the number twenty five to um, what's his face, the beard guy, yeah. um, the the jerk, and the manager he, of the transition. Yeah, the manager uh-huh. of the transition. Yeah. I, I forget his name, but he hands it in, and he's very he's very blunt, but he comes across so kind at the same time. Uh, and you really only see him stutter, but still be tender before in in the first part of the film, mm. and so you see that toughness develop. And so I think there's a good chance that um, it, it could be either could be you, you could be 100 percent right if this were a biography and we could actually talk to the guy. But considering we don't get much voicing of him, you just kind of see uh, you only imagine his thoughts, and you kind of get to uh, personify your own thoughts onto the character in the first part of the film until he really starts to speak up. Uh, and then you just see him daydreaming. So it could be that he he kind of saw that there was a possibility of a willingness from his heart to open up to Cheryl. Uh, it could have, uh, But it could have just as well have been like, oh, I, this woman is beautiful, but if I want a chance with her, I've got to fulfill these, eight, these three qualities, A, B, C. And therefore, 
it kind of helps urge him onto that mission. And through that, he realizes it's working and it, uh, it opens up his own heart to actually start sharing with her because due to her inadvertently calling him to action um, through those qualifications of what she wants in a man, he is, uh, he's like, okay, I can actually do this now. I can actually talk to her and open up with her because I'm fulfilling these qualities. I would, I kind of want to back up, but like, I want to agree with you actually on that point where she inspires him because he, he's, he wants, you know, this opportunity to, to have this relationship with her and then he sees an opportunity and he's battling against, I don't know if I can do this, but then he hears, hears her voice and that's what compels him to like start taking those actions. And so I think that's something beautiful about beauty. What was the quote, uh, Adam, about? Yeah, the Life magazine quote? No, the, the beauty quote. Oh, well, so, we were going to get oh, to that. Okay, but... I, I, will not, <laughs> I will not step on your toes there. But um, I think that's just something that's so important about beauty is, you know, especially with um, women and art, but, like, people, you know, especially people in your lives, they motivate you to want to do the things that you are too afraid to do. And they challenge you, and this is why we need um, good people in our lives is because they will become, will they all have the higher expectations of us and will rise up to those, or at least we want to. Mm. That's good. So being that, you know, Walter Mitty initially had trouble getting called into action and, and uh, living in his imagination and playing out scenarios in his head. Uh, now looking at your life, just how imagination <laughs> looks like in each of your lives, uh, what is your, how does your imagination hinder you how do you see that on a daily basis any situations any stories yeah i don't know if i have a specific story but uh, oh i do well share please how many do you want to hear (laughs) here's the thing i i realize i'm a very introspective person and i realize how that has hurt relationships in the past where i've not been fully present um but just kind of two examples brief examples um so we went on a hiking trip recently and um, Jerry and Adam, I love doing movie quotes. And so Jerry and Adam challenged me to not do uh, movie quotes. And it was kind of for the whole group, but I, I kind of felt like, well, this is kind of geared towards me. Maybe it isn't, maybe it isn't, whatever. But yeah, we're on a hiking trip. Why not? And as we're hiking, I realized I had like 13 movie quotes I went through my head that I wanted to say. And I'm like, nope, not doing on this trip. And I realized how much of a mask that was for me. And I realized rather than being there for people... I was becoming more of an entertainer to people. And so rather than being in the moment with people, I was actually taking myself out. And I was like, wow, I don't need to be playing these mind games of I need to impress people by doing this, you know, impressing them with my movie quote repertoire there. So it was that was a really neat moment there. But then um, there's just times at work where people say things, things happen, and I have those moments where I'm just like, you know, he shouldn't be talking to her like that. I should say something. And then the moment passes, mm-hmm. and I kick myself because I'm thinking, I'm, I guess part of me is still in shock of like, is this really happening? Versus actually just acting, yeah. you know. I'm, I'm I'm more so processing what's going on. What should I say? And then going through the mental games of like, well, if I say this, he'll probably say this. And well, if I say that, do I have enough courage to you know yeah. stand my ground or ride in the right place? What do you? And start playing all those mind games versus taking the courage and just saying, you know what, I'm going forward, and what's going to happen is what's going to happen, and then. I'm either going to not do so well or I'm going to do well, but either way, I'm going to grow and be stretched. So those are things that I'm learning to be better at is 
being more upfront with people, being more honest, spending more time being in the moment, not so much in my own head and trying to think what may happen and be like, all right, I'm going to do something and I'm going to find out what will happen and then yeah. take the consequences. Yeah, but I do want to encourage you there, though, in that, um, you know, I think we're all young enough not to have enough regrets to act on some of those instincts that we haven't acted on before. Um, mm. You like that maybe that just hasn't happened enough times to actually really just be so sick of it that you can't you're you're gonna you can't stand to hate yourself anymore on that front Mm -hmm. so you must act and Mm -hmm. i think we're all young enough to to be uh, i mean we hope that point comes soon we want to act so much because that is part of the adventurous side of ourselves that that comes out as well as the courageous and the protector um we, we all want that aspect built in us as men but at the same time we we have the fear of man but and you can let that continue to get to you but if we're actively trying to grow i think it it might come down to uh one of two points either god gives you the courage to do so or you just have to regret not acting enough times to actually act Mm -hmm. Hmm. so you'll get there one of two ways One's faster than the other and you have some outside outside help what i'm realizing is like we with walter's situation he played things safer as i mentioned before with his dad dying and i realized in my own life i've played things safer just because of you know middle school and just kind of that was the mentality i had and so i'm learning god's really been working on my life these past four months just really pushing me to be like all right if you want to grow you got to go you've got to start making those changes which people have been saying that for years but now i'm realizing this mindset it's like all right i've got to start making those choices and I'm getting focused on that and I think that was kind of the key with Walter was he was just like well you know I haven't done much of anything but he had a mission mm-hmm. and he's like I either go on this mission or I don't and so with that clear mission he went and therefore he started doing these crazy things mm-hmm. and getting all of these winks on eHarmony which what I, th- what I think was so powerful is he is so obsessed with getting all these winks on eHarmony that when it really came down to it like you've got the best profile ever he's like oh you know it's not important anymore and I think that's what's yeah. so cool is when we start doing these things, we, and I'm learning how you become a different person that if I just had this, it would change everything. But when you start becoming this whole, you're a whole other person. You're like, this is nothing. I, I don't need those yeah. things anymore. I don't even have time to care anymore. There comes a point where adventures become more important than talking about adventures. Mm-hmm. Right. Like even bragging about your adventures. Well, it's just, just like, this is just an adventure. Well, yeah, the adventure for him just, yeah, enjoying the adventure for what it is, but just being being that person yeah. becoming mm-hmm. that person who's just enjoying being there yeah. and that because I'm trying to become something it's like I want to yeah. be you know I want to become a better person and a more you know growing person but just living life yeah. in the moment well, I would argue that the, the most popular people in the world are the ones who know how to make everything common in life seem like an adventure and the best people in life who know how to take the active adventure in God's creation yeah 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 exactly exactly we have a say we have a groundwork already laid so we can enjoy it while it's there yeah that's a yeah that's a good point too about taking the common and making it extraordinary when you really do think about that it's it's true the extraordinary is right in our back door it's here because it's like is anything really that common when you think about it considering Mm -hmm. like the human body it's common but when you really begin to understand how amazingly and wonderfully complex and incredible it is, you're just like, this is anything but ordinary. Yeah, yeah, Even exactly. though we're surrounded by all the t- 
surrounded well, by it. You're, yes. you're taking my point to a different direction. I mean, I was more talking about how famous people are oh, talking sure. about their own redundant, just honestly, probably more boring and redundant lives than we actually experience as ordinary people, but they make everything seem so extravagant, extraordinary, and adventurous. Oh, yes. When it's really, I mean, there's a reason why celebrities seem to always die of overdoses and suicides oh, okay. and get into so much corruptive, <laughs> terrible, disgusting practices. Like, there's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I think the most famous people tend to, even the songs from famous people, if you're going into music, they uh, there, there's a habit there of and a, an art form um, that's been corrupted, and the art form is that they actually take what is so ordinary and make it into some adventurous song, therefore glorifying it. Um, in in a bad way, it could be even corrupt things that they glorify in a bad way. I mean, you see that happen with sex, where it's in every rap song, it's talked about in virtually every pop song, and it's just it's taking the uh, just a, a a physical act that is supposed to be the manifestation of uh, one of the most beautiful emotional and spiritual connections that God created in this world, and it's corrupting it and glorifying the act itself as opposed to what it is a result, what it should be a result of. Um, and that is, that's that's an extreme example, but I think that's just a common thing we see with the social media culture, Instagram, the TikTok thing, and uh, where it just takes all these super ordinary just moments. Sometimes, sometimes they're good and really cool, but I mean, um, you have people who will just take, oh, an animal's doing this funny thing, and then I match it to this song, and it's, it looks like this extraordinary thing whenever you have you know, a, a million, 1.8 million views on it. It's like, oh, that's so cool. That person's living life. It's like, no, that took them like less than a minute to do, and it was funny. There's nothing else to that. Oh, you're saying <laughs> you're saying people are putting on this personification of, look how extraordinary my life is, but it's really not is what you're... Exactly, okay. yeah. They're making an adventure out of what is quite monotonous okay. and unimportant. Okay, so, so yeah, if I may, so it sounds like we're kind of talking about how some people try to make things look extraordinary when they're really not. And then I'm, ta- I'm, con- I'm contrasting that with realizing there are ordinary things here, but you can mm-hmm. make them extraordinary. Yeah. And I'm not saying in a superficial way, but like there's just people that... Going out to coffee with somebody. Yeah. There's people I could go to coffee with, and I'm just like, I have no idea what's going to come out of this person's mouth, but it's going to be a fun time just yeah. because of who this person is. Yeah. Well, yeah, and yeah. good good directions. I like yes, this. Sorry. So let's get take us in a dra- different direction here. <laughs> so, do we? So, one of the things is like two out of three photo negatives that he used to try to track down Sean. He just found just not actively looking for it. Like he was, for example, with the thumb. The guy was going to kill him in the bar, and he saw his thumb on his face. Of, well, like, wait, I know that thumb. And then the other one was uh, where he saw the, the little chipping on the piano. Uh, and then he, he actually sought out that third negative with the, the ocean. Mm-hmm. But in those cases, uh, just asking you guys, do you sometimes find that what we're looking for, uh, that we find, excuse me, do we sometimes find what we're looking for when we're not even looking for it actively? Yeah, but I don't think it's like some twist of twist of fate, if you will, um, for lack of a better term, that enables us to find it when we're not looking for it. It's simply the it when we're not looking for it, it lowers our expectations, and then it's just a mental click when we actually see it. It's like, oh wait, that's it, and because your expectations are lowered, and when you're trying to find, I mean, if you, when, when you're looking at a puzzle, it's not about 
you've kind of got to just open yourself up to like all the pieces that are laid out in front of you and seeing the lines that kind of connect as opposed to like trying every single piece. If you keep trying every single piece, yeah, you'll probably eventually get there, but you went through like, if you're looking at a thousand piece puzzle, you're going through hundreds of pieces. Just kind of let the lines form and, and identify the, just, just let it kind of click. That's usually a more effective way, at least it is for me personally, but yeah, that's, that's my perspective on it. That is, that's a, that's a good observation. Yeah, anything on that, David? Is that the question again? So, do we sometimes find what we're looking for when we aren't actively looking? Also, it depends on how do we know what we're looking for, and how do we know when we found it. <laughs> that assumes we are looking for something. Well, because we like, you know, we're all looking for stuff, you know, looking for that thing, but how do we know we're going to get it when, when we find it? you mentioned you know talking about how sex is something that people will pursue and we have human trafficking is the second fastest growing crime on our in the globe people are looking for you know they're looking for something in sex and they believe sex is going to provide you know i think it's intimacy and we're seeing that it is not satisfying so i mean that's kind of detour there but you know what are you looking for and i think that's where we're all look. We're all on that journey, for trying to find that thing, whatever we're looking for. And yeah. it's like, how do we know we're going to find it? So it's not. Yeah. Well, and stop me if this is if you're going to go to this point. But um, whenever, uh, oh, Sean, is it the the photographer? Yeah. Yes. Sean. It's funny. His name, the actor's name is Sean Penn. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> that that was help, helpful for his role, I'm sure. Uh, he's. You know, that moment when he's on the mountaintop and everything and he moves away from the camera because, like, you know, sometimes when I find a moment, I don't want the distraction of the camera. I know there's other things mm-hmm. to talk about there. Um, he is... It, it kind of strikes me like, that's a beautiful sentiment, but then the moment's gone and you got to find the next moment. So you, you, you found something that was kind of close, but it, to, you know, we're, we're looking for something... We are all looking for something, like you said, for just as a general term. We're all looking for something. Uh, we can all define it in our own different ways. But he was looking for something. He was looking for the right fo- for the photo. He found something else that was more valuable to him. But even that still went away. Well, if I may speak into that, um, did you did you want to? for a moment. Yeah. Yeah. As a videographer and photographer, I have had moments where even if I'm at an event, I miss it. Because I am behind that glass taking those pictures. I remember being at the 4th of July thinking about this, taking these gorgeous pictures of the fireworks. And emotionally, I am completely disconnected from seeing this incredible thing mm-hmm. celebrating the United States of America. And so from that perspective, like it's not that he's looking for the next moment. It's that I want to appreciate being in this moment here. And I know if I, and I've done this even with audio recordings where I'm like, I want to hear, I've heard this beautiful song. I'm like, ooh, I want to record this song because I don't want to lose this live recording of it. And something psychologically, I mean, I'm sure there's a study on it, but it's just fascinating to me when I've done this, that when I, I've done that, taking a picture, whatever, yes, that's a beautiful photo, but something about that precious moment is, is, is kind of gone on the, on the inside. That moment, because I, I realized I captured this because that pragmatic value, because I wanted to post it or whatever, versus being grateful to God, saying this moment was a beautiful moment, and I'm I love that moment. That's good, yeah. And to clarify, he says sometimes I do, 
or yes. sometimes I don't. So this is somebody who's a seasoned photographer that we're dealing with, who had who made the decision in that moment not to take the picture. Well, I know, I know you're hosting, but can, I want to ask one question of, of David. I'm not here. <laughs> Go ahead. What is it? Well, and the reason I brought up that moment was because you were talking about human trafficking and something that was evil, uh, or that is evil. And uh, the example in the film was of a moment of something that was arguably very, very good. Mm. Um, but they're both looking for something. What are they looking for? Like what's he looking for and what are people looking for? Yeah, are they looking for the same thing? Or what? what is it that, that both Sean's character and the person who's uh, who goes and takes advantage of someone who's been human, human trafficked, yeah. what are they both looking we're, for? This is And this is where we're at, is we're looking for different things, but... I believe we're looking for just fulfillment and trying to figure out who are ways of people. And this is why, as Christians, we we come to God like, okay, God, you've given me my identity. Who am I? And I don't want to say that it just has the, the Christian answer because that's something I've been wrestling with just a lot lately. It's just like, God, where are you in my pain? Where is this? Where is that? Because we're all asking questions of, you know, who am I? Where do I come from? What's my identity? And what happens when, like, we're asking these life questions here. And we're searching for meaning and purpose in our lives. And some people are trying to find that in traveling. People are trying to find that in beauty. People are trying to find that in the arts. People are trying, and we all have these things that we're like, if I just get this, then I will find my fulfillment. Then I'll find my peace. Mm -hmm. And we're all, and that's saying, like, how that honestly looks. I honestly don't know what that looks like when you obtain it. Um, and this is where you know I've just when God's just been challenging me about like, who's what's your identity in. Is it why what you do? Yeah. Is it in the stuff that you have, the experiences that you have? Because we all know these people who have all, they seem to have it all, and yet they feel so empty on the yeah. inside. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, Jerry, it's like, I think we're all looking for things, but I would say they're different. For the human trafficking, people are looking for that fulfillment, that emptiness where it's like, I need thy identity, and this is not going to give it to me. Sean, though, this is his job. You know, He's a photographer. But when he sees something that's something beautiful like that, he appreciates the moment that he's mm -hmm. in. And he's like, you know what? This is a beautiful thing. And I'm here mm -hmm. in this moment and I'm thankful for it. Yeah. And then, you know, take the picture okay. or don't take the picture. Yeah. My, my reason for asking, because, and you actually, you, you actually kind of hit it, or at least came very close to what I was kind of trying to draw you to. A little oh, bit. Dang but, it. uh, you, you mentioned <laughs> self-fulfillment and that's what I would argue they're, they're both looking for is self-fulfillment. Sean was when he, uh, either takes pictures of a moment he likes or the moment is so good that he doesn't want to, that he doesn't want the distraction of the camera. They're both, and then also the person who takes advantage of someone who's been human trafficked. Um, while one is terrible, one is good, both are examples of someone just trying to find self-fulfillment. Even Walter Mitty, in, his in the entire synopsis of the film, is, he's looking for self-fulfillment, both in romantic and in, uh, in his job and this mission to actually find the negative. Um, and I think there's, this was brought up in a sermon recently, um, about self-awareness, self-fulfillment, self-awareness, fairly similar things. Cause if we're self-aware enough, then we know how to fulfill ourselves. So it's a means to an end. Um, and the self, when the idea is that if we can become so self-aware, then we can somehow know how to self-fulfill. Uh, and by doing so, we have turned ourselves into our own gods because then we know ourselves so perfectly that we know what is what it is the best thing for ourselves, uh, and so that is what I would argue that both 
in your scenario, your human trafficking scenario, and Sean's scenario, and Walter's whole story, that is, they're all looking for that fulfillment. And uh, the, the problem is that none of them, long term, can ever find that in anything other than Christ. And if you want to know what, look, what self-fulfillment actually looks like, look to Christ. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is the example of self-fulfillment because he gave himself up completely for the calling that his spiritual, well, his actual father, but also his spiritual father, uh, set forth before him. Mm-hmm. And that is uh, the, the wonderful thing that was pointed out in this same sermon is that uh, our, our Father in Heaven is the only one who actually understands us perfectly. So if we want perfect self-awareness, we must seek to understand God, who understands us perfectly. Therefore, He gives us more clarity on ourselves. And he te- and through that, He gets to show us what it is we actually need and what we most desire and what is best for us. Because mm-hmm. we can never understand ourselves well enough to self-fulfill. Yeah, that's right. Good. Sounds good to me. All okay. right, let's wrap this one up. <laughs> All right, so I just have two questions left All for right. you guys All here. Right. But one of the quotes was, beautiful things don't ask for attention. Uh, that's one of the, the things that Sean told Walter as they were sitting up on the, the mountaintop seeing the snow leopard pass by. But uh, to this effect, there, uh, if we're talking about things that don't ask for attention, we're also talking about some of the quieter souls in those that we know. And Walter was one of those people who didn't seem to have much of a voice. They, were very, they, they came off as timid and unassuming. And that was misunderstood uh, at times where... Walter came head to head with the transitions manager and the transmissions uh, transmissions <laughs> transition manager used that as an opportunity to 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 power play you know to to uh, take advantage of the situation to be superior yes and so uh, what do you do you, can you think of ways because at, from a personal experience I was that quieter soul mm. at a younger age and I was misunderstood and that led to some very painful uh, mistakes that continued to come up for mm-hmm. years and years, and so in that case, what, do you guys have any ideas as to how we can maybe be more attentive to quiet souls like that in our media communities? I'll try to be very brief and just say, being present. Mm-hmm. One of the things I thought was so it was just a subtle moment, but how he's like, "Mom, why didn't you tell me that Sean was here taking pictures?" Or that the negative was here. And she said, I did. Mm. It was in the grocery aisle. But you were having one of your... Uh, and she's like, honey, what's it, what's it called those things? And he called them his daydreams. Zone, zoning out. Zoning, zoning out. And I realize um, I can be so introspective. not trying to know myself. Being so introspective that I zone out. And sometimes it's not bad things. Like I'll listen to podcasts while I drive. But what if instead of listening to the music or even listening to good stuff, we were just being present in that moment? How can I get better at my job right here? Who is around me that I can find out about their story? And to that point, Adam, is realizing that there's somebody here. I'm like, you know what? I've never found out her name. What's her background? She's got a different accent. Where is she from? What city is that like? Ooh, what kind of food did they cook? Being present enough to recognize that people are hurting and then caring enough to actually find out their story. Mm. That's what I'd say. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. What do you think, Jerry? Well, are we talking in uh, a corporate setting, like in the film, or are we talking in interpersonal? I'm talking about our lives, yep. The only ones we... Not corporate. Okay, not corporate. Okay, okay. (laughs) Said our lives is like, wait, uh, okay. It could be, I guess you could say it could be considered corporately because Mm -hmm. we are individuals 
who make up a group. But <laughs> okay. <laughs> talk about where, you know what I'm looking well, for more. All right, all right. Go yeah. go develop your introspective LLC. And <laughs> Adam, talk a about corporation of corporate of one. Your employee owned business. Yeah. There, everyone has a voice. All right. No, because I'm definitely interested in hearing how you guys would would use that because your ideas are can be very effective in how we talk to quieter souls. So well, so say the question one more time, just for clarity's sake. Yeah, so how can we be more attentive to the quieter souls in our immediate circles? Okay. Um, so, I mean, you're, the answer is a little bit just in the question, be attentive. Uh, I mean, it's... <laughs> sometimes there's not, like, the some new perspective that actually says, oh, that's the answer, but, mm -hmm. like, sometimes it's just... You know, you got to make an effort to actually be attentive to like that person hasn't said a word. What are they thinking? <laughs> mm -hmm. Sometimes you just got to see it. Um, on the alternative side, I think they're uh, I'm I'm a big proponent of more competition. Um, you you see it in Walter Mitty where it's the the, the trials and the struggles uh, and and the adventure that and him having to take initiative that allows his quieter soul to actually stop. Um, looking so introspe introspectively to the point that it hinders him and actually being able to voice his uh, his opinions, his concerns, what he perceives to be um, what, what the facts are to other people and just actually present new information to other people that they have probably not noticed. Um, so I, I, I think that there is an element of, you know, those who are not quieter souls need to be more attentive. But at the same time, I think the only way those quieter souls are going to be, become the strong... I think they have the potential to be the, become the strongest voices in the room. Mm -hmm. um, but it takes um, it takes time. Again, kind of like I said to David earlier, just it takes enough times regretting not saying something to actually mm -hmm. get to the point where you do say something. And it's going to be an uphill battle, but you're going to be a lot stronger at the top of that hill once you get there than if someone just kind of... Uh, mm -hmm. just kind of pulled you along and nudged you. You're gonna be, you're gonna be stronger for that. Mm. Like That's on our cool. hiking trip, if you guys had just kind of dragged me along, I wouldn't have gotten stronger. But because mm. you 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 heard me ask for rest, I we rested. <laughs> and yeah, then we I'm forward, be honest. So. I don't know if we could have helped you with that pack, even if we wanted to. <laughs> We're leaving you behind. Honey, just <laughs> telling you. But no, I mean, yeah, it's that would be my answer. So that's awesome. Let them get stronger. Yeah, that, that excellent. I agree. Yeah, there is a responsibility on both ends, aren't there? That's good. Mm -hmm. uh, so then, lastly, and I, I realized we didn't bring up our hiking trip at all, and I'm really sorry about that. So I did. If you guys just want to say a few closing thoughts, yeah, you know, okay. you I did. To, but for like um, briefly. You're right. You're right. Yeah. yeah. But as a host, I don't listen. Mm. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> Be more attentive to us quieter souls. Over here. <laughs> yes. Come on. <laughs> quieter souls in quotations anyway <laughs> what do you find extraordinary in your ordinary day so there have been any instance recently where you see something extraordinary in just your standard everyday kind of day just the sounds so cliche in the Christian culture but I mean honestly the presence of Christ and uh, I should say more specifically the presence of uh, the Holy Spirit mm. um in that pride has been a, a regular huge battle for me and I haven't realized how deep it goes within me but um, he's exposed that and I realize th when um, w when I am prideful 
I really just do not see what God is doing around me. And uh, it's, it becomes much more obvious whenever um, he calls to awareness what I'm being prideful about. And uh, he, I've, I've realized him calling it out uh, or, or showing it to me either before I actually do something that is prideful or immediately after I commit some an act of pride. Um, and through that, I see both are acts of grace in that one allows me to see what's going on. The, the first scenario where I, uh, he, he calls me to stop from, uh, to be aware of what I'm about to do before I do it when it comes to making a prideful act. And through that, I'm able to see more of what's going on around me, more so in others. But whenever I see, because it's not usually been the case, um, but whenever I start seeing that after I commit an act of pride, I'm, I become immediate, immediately aware of it, that in and of itself is humbling. I'm like, oh, whoa, God, you're actually doing something in me now. Too. Mm-hmm. So that's uh, that would definitely be the most extraordinary thing. So it's extraordinary that he's doing a work in you to open your eyes to the needs of those around you, but also that he's calling attention to the pride. Mm-hmm. Too great. Mm-hmm. What about you, David? Uh, t- two things. Um, one, um, I do... I do try to do like a devotional first thing in the morning and there are just moments where I'm so busy where I'm just trying to get some kind of some scripture but there's just moments where I'm just reading a devotional or reading scripture and it just um, and I so I thought it just hits me and it's just like wow this is I'm going to chew on this one all day but there are days like I'm doing like deliveries for example where you know I'm got this on my mind I'm going and going and then I'll just be getting in my car and this this breeze will come through just this nice chilled breeze and I'll just stop there and I'll just like look at the the sun and the clouds and just the the leaves rustling, and I just realize like, wow, what a incredible, beautiful world that I'm living in. And that just kind of gives me a moment to stop. And you know, we've talked about this before with art and joy, and how joy just just puts you in a moment there that's timeless. Mm-hmm. And that really helps me. Those moments take me out of my. I gotta get this done, this done, this done. I'm like, no. I can wait for like a few seconds just enjoying that moment and it really gives me perspective about just living in the moment and realizing what a beautiful place and how how much I do have I have legs I can walk I have the ability to work I have a place to live I have uh, parents that love me I have friends who want to pour into me I'm like I have a lot and just, just moments like that really help me get more perspective and just be in that moment and I think that's my big takeaway from this film is just be in the moment and seize those adventures when they come your way and look for them but also just be in the moment and realizing that you're in an adventure right now um, and if you're looking for the next one you might miss the one that's right in front of you mm. yes excellent well thank you for this discussion guys of uh, course thank you all for listening as well uh, to us three men here <laughs> but we uh, we do want to I don't know let me see is there a question that I could leave with you all um, he has a lot of questions, so I he's just picking his favorites. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a quite a good film, very 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 good. Yeah, it is. Right. So, uh, yeah. Let, so let me just. Stick if you with... have your board, if you have your passport, be careful. You might actually board. You might buy a flight when the movie's over and yeah. go somewhere. So. I, I I do not recommend jumping onto a helicopter with a drunk pilot, just yes. for future reference. <laughs> Unless you're in Greenland. I mean, yeah, if you're in Greenland with the eight people who live there, yes, then you're exactly. kind of, you have really no other way off, so you might as well just take the risk. 
Yeah, so I really think the best question to leave with you all is just what do you find extraordinary in your ordinary day? Because I definitely want to, we definitely want to encourage each other to enjoy what is around us and what has, what have been blessings and what, what we value, even just the time with our families and uh, our conversations, big and small. So those things are important. Well, thank you all for listening. And uh, I'm your host, Adam. I'm Jerry. And I'm David. Thanks for listening. Thank you.